Happy Halloween, everybody. Welcome into Locked On Cougars. And yes, I am dressed up for the occasion. Hope you guys are having a fantastic holiday. We have got a lot to cover ahead on today's show. It's not a trick, but a treat for the BYU Athletics Department and BYU Football with new media rights still agreed to by the Big 12 Conference. We'll talk about that and how much money BYU can expect. We'll also talk about the ECU loss. What did I take away after a second viewing? It's a film review Monday. Let's get right to it. You are Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast on the BYU Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. Thank you for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. And folks, there was no way I was wearing that getup for the entirety of the recording of this podcast. Now, I can promise you this. If you do see me out and about tonight trick-or-treating with my kids, I will be wearing that outfit. I promised my kids I would wear it. I figured, you know what? Let's have some fun with the introduction on today's show. But nonetheless, a big thank you for joining us right here on Locked On Cougars. Once again, we are your only daily podcast focused on the BYU. BYU Cougars. The goal here simply stated is to make you guys the smartest BYU fans in the room. And then I decided to do two different costumes, I guess, on today's show. Uh, State Farm gave me the forever costume here. You can see this right here. Nice little State Farm patch. If you happen to be uh, tuned in on uh, YouTube, you can see that. Uh, and what I'm talking about with the introduction, uh, if you're listening to this in a regular podcast format, you missed out on maybe the best costume I have in my arsenal. And I don't have a ton of them, but it is one of those inflatable T-Rex costume. So if you're listening to this on the uh, on the Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, you, you guys get the drift. I'd encourage you, just for, at least for the intro, go and check out my getup for the intro on YouTube. Uh, you can just search out Locked On Cougars on YouTube, and I uh, decided to have some fun. Uh, my wife is the one that had the idea for it. So credit to Mrs. Hatch uh, for, for the idea. But on to business here. A huge, huge treat uh, coming in the way of a new media ride still from the Big 12 for BYU and the other members of the Big 12 Conference. Broke yesterday morning, Sunday morning. Uh, the Sports Business Journal put out the Big 12 had come to a new six-year agreement with ESPN and Fox that is going to uh, be a grand total of $2.3 billion uh, over the life of the deal, roughly uh, just about $2.3 billion. That's almost an average of $380 million per year, according to SBJ. And the big deal will take effect after the Big 12's current media rights agreement expires after the end of the 2024-2025 season. Obviously, at the end of that, both Texas and Oklahoma are bound for the SEC. BYU will already have been a member for two years. So this is a huge, huge deal if you're BYU, my friends, the biggest thing for BYU is that this is going to mean the Cougars are looking at a minimum, this is just a minimum, of $31.6 million annually under the negotiated TV rights with this. Now, that does not factor in college football playoff payouts, which are still to be negotiated because we're expecting an expanded playoff. Well, actually, no, we're not expecting. We've already got that. It's just a matter of when it's implemented. And also NCAA revenue, meaning like tournament shares from the NCAA men's basketball tournament, women's basketball tournament, and other NCAA tournaments. So uh, the biggest thing is Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports is saying that the new look Big 12 could be looking at new uh, the new Big 12 could be looking at north of $50 million when all is said and done. I would obviously temper that a little bit and say okay, 31.6 is a great number. I would say if you're anywhere between 45 and $50 million, that's a huge, huge windfall that BYU, frankly, 
has never seen in their history. Think about this. If you believe any of the rumors about BYU and their highest number in terms of their media rights deals with ESPN during their independent era, the highest I've heard, some people have postulated it could be as worth as much as $20 million. People that I trust say it's much closer to around $10 million is what BYU is getting from ESPN for its media rights each year uh, in their exclusive rights deal with ESPN. But $31 million, that's three times that number. And if you're going to expand that even further and get us up to $50 million, uh, that's a fantastic number. And the bigger thing about this also is that the SBJ says the conference likes the idea that the shorter six-year deal that runs through the 2031, end of 30, 2031 academic year, so it'd be 2030-2031 academic year. When that ends, the Big 12 will go back to market ahead of both the SEC, whose deal with ESPN goes through 2034, and the ACC, whose deal with ESPN goes through 2036. So the Big 12, in many ways, is going to have an opportunity to prove itself on a national stage with this new shiny new media rights deal through the early part of next uh, the next decade, and then go right back to market and maybe reset the market ahead of the SEC, the ACC, uh, uh, they're going to get an opportunity to essentially set the number, kind of the benchmark, if you will, for future media rights deals beyond that. So it's a fantastic deal, all things considered, I think, for BYU. And the bigger thing is, Brett Yormark, I said this a couple weeks ago when there were rumors out there that he may get a deal done. He was talking about getting a deal done. This is a man of action. That's the biggest thing about this. Is th- This is a deal that Brett Yormark... He's not messing around. George Klyovkov is over there uh, spouting off all kinds of nonsense, it feels like, from the Pac-12 side of things, saying that, well, we're looking at things, we haven't decided if we're going to go fishing in that pond yet. The biggest thing for the Big 12 now is they've got stability on their side. This conference is set up to have stability for the foreseeable future. And Does that mean things are always going to be hunky-dory and things are going to hold together? You can't ever necessarily say that, but the fact that these schools all have signed off on this a full 16 months before the exclusive negotiating right window is actually supposed to open means that they felt like, okay, this is a fantastic deal. Let's get it done, move on, and have it locked in. This means that the Big 12, for all intents and purposes, is set, and they're going to be very, very stable for the better part of this decade and early on into next decade. Meanwhile, other conferences like the Pac-12, there's still going to be question marks about them. Now, what will the Pac-12's right still look like? Who knows? But the bigger thing is, there's also a clause in this, a quote, a pro-rata clause is expected to be included in the Big 12 extension with its network partners, multiple conference sources told the Athletics, which would aid the conference if it pursues additional members. What a pro-rata clause is, is that if you add new members to the conference, whether it's two, four, six, eight, however many you add, each one of those members gets the going rate in your clause and it's added on to your conference's media rights. So in essence, $31.6 million going to whichever school joins the Big 12 plus the extended payouts from the other side of that with regards to the uh, ESPN, not the ESPN, the the college football playoff rights, which for all intents and purposes are ESPN because ESPN controls that. Then also the NCAA payouts. That would all go into the pot if you were to get more schools to come into the conference. But at this point, I don't think the Big 12 has to necessarily worry about expanding to stabilize themselves. They have stabilized themselves with what they've got right now. Could a school or schools like Arizona, Colorado, and Utah decide, you know what, we're not necessarily so comfortable with what's going on in the in the Pac-12 and decide they want to jump ship? Sure. But the bigger thing is, I think this is a massive, massive strike against uh, the Pac-12 with all their bluster over on one side and saying, well, we're, 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 we're looking at a, a big deal. Rumors out there that they're going to get a big number. Well, guess what? The 
Big 12, they've got the money. They, they've got this locked in. The Pac-12 can kind of bluster and say, well, we're looking potentially at this, and we're, we're looking at that maybe, and this could happen, and that could happen. Meanwhile, the Big 12 and Brett Yormark on the other side are like, well, you guys can talk all you want. We walk the walk. You guys are talking the talk. We we got the deal done. We are locked in here. Now, obviously, could the could the Big Twelve number help the Pac twelve potentially get more money? Maybe so. But the stable format of what the Big Twelve is going to be, I think this is a big deal just to help uh, the the Big Twelve just move forward here, know what they've got, and now they can focus on improving their overall product. Meanwhile, I think the Pac twelve, honestly, if you're if you're continuing to think that the Pac twelve is settled and everything's going to be hunky dory with the Pac twelve. Then what is Oregon and Washington reportedly having their lawyers meet with other lawyers of the Big Ten about? I've got that question. So it's going to be very, very interesting to see where everything goes. But I think the biggest news is that BYU, they're going to have more money coming into their coffers than they ever have. Speaking of their athletics department, how would they parse that out? Will the vast majority of it, once again, go to the football program as it should? I sure hope so. This should be a new era of BYU. There was eras past. I, I know this for a fact. I know of two guys that were guys that BYU had approached to become assistant football coaches on BYU staff. This goes back through the era of independence and both times the programs that they were at said okay what's the number BYU is offering you this they gave him the number they said yeah we'll match that we'll give you a little bit more on the top just to make sure you stay put BYU couldn't compete salary wise for a lot of the time they've been an independent member they've done a decent job I feel like investing in this program but now if you're looking at 45 50 50 plus million dollars coming into the athletic department the salary concerns about in terms of uh, both attracting new talent coaching talent to BYU and also retaining that talent when it's being poached by other programs potentially that should never be a conversation anymore for the BYU athletic department you should be able to go out there and say okay how much are they offering you we'll match that that should never be an issue for BYU moving forward here now Okay, if a Big Ten or an SEC school, if you if those numbers are truly as high as we're hearing they could be for these programs, that could obviously throw a wrinkle in it. But those are really the two conferences I would be worried about if you're BYU in terms of, okay, how much are they offering you? Okay, that you need to take that number and we wish you well. But outside of that, there should be, never be any more a Pac-12 or what would be a Pac-10, I guess, school or an ACC school, et cetera, coming to a BYU assistant saying, we want you to come coach here. If they want to leave, they want to leave. Sure, you can only do so much. But if, if, it's a, if it's a compensation thing, this should never be an issue for BYU moving forward. They should be able to hire as many staff as they need. They should be able to get the right type of uh, facilities in place for BYU. This is a whole new era for BYU. And as I said in the end part of my postcast on Friday night, is that with uh, unprecedented contracts and unprecedented cash flowing into the BYU Athletic Department, they're going to come with it. Unprecedented expectations and unprecedented just overall issues you've never experienced before. So it's a whole whole new era that BYU has to navigate here and obviously the football program stumbling into this, as it is right now. I know it's not a whole lot of warm fuzzy feelings right now about the Cougars on the football side of things, but the hope is, is they will continue to improve out there on the football field and that will benefit the Cougars in the long run when it comes to getting this money in there and then hopefully it can be redistributed and reinvested in such a way that it BYU becomes a player in the Big 12. Do I think they're a player right away? Well, I thought so, but going into this season, I thought that was the case, but the way this season's playing out, sure looks like it's going to take BYU some extra time it feels like to get necessarily uh, to competing at the level of all the rest of the Big 12, but 
I think this is a this is a huge huge deal. We've said it before. I'll say it again: is that he who has the most money in football anymore, you're going to be more competitive. I know that BYU for many many years was we do more with less. Okay, great. I, I love that, but that was more of uh, the the fact of the matter is you didn't have the resources that other programs you were trying to compete on the same level with had. Now you're going to have that. How will you do with that? And that's the big question. So I'd like to ask you guys, I'm going to posit a question to you. Where do you think BYU needs to reinvest this money? Now, it's also acknowledged this money's not coming into BYU's coffers, at least that $50 million mark is not coming into the coffers until 2025. The way I understand it is the final two years of the Big 12 deal, BYU will still be a part uh, revenue member, so meaning about half of the payout from the Big 12. But even then, uh, last year, they, uh, they put, if it's 50%, if I recall correctly, there's a number around there, BYU will be looking around 20 or so million dollars in the first two years. That's still massive amounts of money that BYU has never seen before in terms of an overall payout from a conference or even during their independent era. So BYU, you're going to have all this money. What should BYU do with it? That is my question today to you out there in Cougar Nation. Love to hear from you guys. Put in the comments here on YouTube below the video or send them in via social media, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can send us your thoughts on that. Also, you can email the show if you want to locked on BYU at gmail.com. Very interested to hear your guys' take on this, but I think the overall message I've got for you guys, this is a huge treat uh, coming into the bucket, if you will, for the BYU Athletic Department. They went to a house, went the the ESPN and Fox houses and said, knock, knock, trick or treat. And they're like, oh, here's your treat. We're going to give you guys potentially $50 million every single year. It's a huge deal, folks. It's a huge amount of money. And now it's the biggest thing is making sure BYU uses that money to their advantage and builds, the, builds their programs. And I mean programs, not just football, but football, obviously the driving force, but of the basketball programs out, women's soccer, tennis, cross country, track and field, all competitive. But what can they do with even more money injected into their athletic budgets? The hope is they can continue to compete at a higher level and even a more elite level in certain circumstances, even though some of them are already climbed to the mountaintop figuratively in their sport. But think about having added resources at their disposal should, uh, in theory, help those programs be more competitive as BYU moves on to a new era in the Big 12 Conference. All right, coming up here in just a minute, uh, something I plan to do before that news dropped on Sunday morning with the Big 12 Media Rights, our Film Review Monday. What did I take away after re-watching that East Carolina game? A frustrating loss, but I do have a lot of good things I feel like I have to say about that. We'll get to that here momentarily. First, though, a word on our friends over at Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting football and the start of the new basketball season my friends. Find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and in-depth analysis on every single game now. And as always, BetOnline remains your continued source for all of your sports wagering information with live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. For example, this week, BYU's opening line with our friends over at BetOnline is BYU is an 8-point underdog going to Boise State. Trying to snap a 4-game slide up there on the blue turf. They are an 8-point dog in this matchup. If you want to take advantage of that number, get to BetOnline right now and do it. It is the fastest and the easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more now. That's courtesy of your friends at Bet Online, where the game starts. Want to encourage you guys to make sure you guys check out a brand new podcast. Oh, not brand new podcast. Been around for a while, but we're trying to build them up a little bit more because it's a fantastic resource. It's called Locked On Sports Today. And the best part about this is Locked On Sports Today, it covers everything in the sports world. And I mean that seriously. It's like, it's like going to a ESPN or CBSSports.com and reading up every single article of the major headlines from each sport each day. That's what Locked On Sports Today is doing for you guys. It's got the b- games that matter, the biggest stories in sports. The best part is go beyond the scoreboard 
forward behind the scenes with our friends and the local experts on the Locked On Podcast Network, giving you insights and news that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today is available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'd encourage you guys to make sure you check that out every single day and get caught up on everything going on in the sports world. All right, pull up my phone here. Let's talk a little bit about what to take away from BYU's game against ECU. It's a film review Monday for those of you who may be checking us out for the first time. I do this every Monday after BYU football games. I go back and rewatch the game, win or loss, and take away what I and share what I took away from the game after rewatching it. Uh, first thing in this is I actually came away from this game, uh, the ECU game. I know it's a frustrating loss because the the way you lost it. It's highly frustrating because you had penalties down the stretch, uh, some questionable play calling, uh, where was Pukunuku, all that stuff. I know that goes all into the calculus here. But let me say this. For at least three quarters, and I even think uh, for the first part of the fourth quarter, it was a winning effort from the BYU football program. That was a game that BYU played more like what we had seen from BYU early this season, and especially going back to last year. They ran the ball effectively. They mixed in play action. Jaron Hall was delivering great passes. I know he didn't have a high number in terms of the overall passing yardage in this game, but... I thought that Jaron, he looked very much maybe the healthiest he's looked in a hot minute. That, in my opinion, of the four games BYU has lost in a row here, that game, to me, was the most competitive and the one that BYU probably should have won the most, if you were to ask me. I I actually came away very, very encouraged by BYU's effort in this game. Now, did the defense struggle? Absolutely they did. They they didn't have their finest performance, but it was a better performance. That was the thing. The BYU defense was competing. It felt like at times against Liberty, they were just, you know, what we're we're listless out here. We're just going to do our thing. I saw a more comprehensive scheme. I saw uh, more concrete plans. It felt like for BYU, they mixed up some man and some zone coverage. They went with a, a three man front with a, a rush end. Pepe Tonavasa, Fisher Jackson, Alden Tofa, all getting in the mix there as that OE, the rush end that was kind of on two. Uh, they were in a two point stance coming off the edge. Uh, the one thing about the BYU defense, though, I watched that entirety entirety of that game once again. The most pressure BYU brought in terms of overall ball. I think maybe one time I saw what I would consider to be a five-man pressure, but even then, I don't think it was a called blitz. I, I think it was just guys, their their keys to, on that play led them to, to rush the quarterback or get upfield in a pass rush set. Outside of that, it was three or four-man rush for BYU. And to me, if that's the case, how BYU is going to go about things this season, that screams to me that BYU doesn't feel like they have the talent to measure up and be able to bring the bodies they feel like they need to in a blitz pickup. Or Kalani Sitake is being very methodical about implementing his defense in this circumstance and says, you know what, guys, we're going... Uh, we're building block by building block on terms of building this defense. I thought, like I said last week on the podcast, I felt like BYU's scheme against Liberty, I know they got absolutely torched, but it was a more comprehensive idea of what this is what our identity is for BYU's defense. In this game against... Uh, against an ECU team that has a very high-profile and high-powered offense, BYU competed, and especially in that fourth quarter. They gave the offense the opportunity to get the ball back in two critical circumstances when they could have easily folded shop and given up points to ECU. One a missed field goal, another one a stop on fourth and one. Massive, massive turnovers on downs for BYU, giving the ball back to their offense. And the offense, unfortunately, was unable to seal the deal and hold up their end of the bargain late in the game. Now, also... Uh, 
in the final eight minutes of this game, BYU, let me double check this. Yeah, it was the final eight minutes. BYU had five total penalties for 50 yards in this game. Do you know when four of those penalties came? Yes, the final eight minutes of this game. The time that's supposed to be quote-unquote winning time, BYU faltered down the stretch. They played a pretty clean game up to that point. Then late in the game, there's the holding call on Kingsley Sulamatia, watching it again. It's a very easy call for that referee to call. Pass interference, there's no question about it on Caleb Hayes. Having 12 guys on the football field in that punt formation, stuff like that. You can't have those critical mistakes late in the game. In many ways, I feel like this BYU team right now is being thrown back to what they were in 2018 and 2019. When many of you will recall... There were multiple games where BYU felt like, okay, they got an opportunity here. If they, if they can just they can fix this one thing, they can get over the top. But they had so many up and down performances throughout those two seasons, both of them ending seven and six, and very frustrating in many circumstances. But they were learning along the way, and that yielded the 2020 and 2021 seasons. It feels like this year BYU's kind of been thrown back to what we saw in that 2018 and 2019 seasons. And I know it's the first time uh, 2014 BYU lost all their games in October, then bounced back to sweep the month of November. That's kind of going to be the rallying cry for BYU right now is that, hey, month of October, it sucked. Put it in the rearview mirror. It's our time to go out there and show what we can do in the month of November and hopefully get to bowl eligibility. You're now sitting at four and five with the need to win two of your final three games to make it to a bowl game. That that's that's the simple fact of the matter for BYU right now. That that's what they have to focus on. Now, other things I took away from this game. I thought Lopini Katoa is very good. Lopini showed more of what Tyler Algier was for BYU last year than I have seen in a lot of this season from both Christopher Brooks, Miles Davis, and even Lopini at multiple points. Very patient. Uh, finding those holes and getting great yardage. Can Lopini build on that? We're going to find out. I don't know how long Christopher Brooks is going to be out. He might be out against Boise State this week. If that's the case, Lopini Katoa, hopefully he can build on that performance. I really, really liked what I liked, liked what I saw from him. Other things, uh, the flash linebacker position for BYU, it has been absolutely decimated due to injury now. Max Tooley is dealing with some injury concerns. Obviously missed that game against ECU. It would have been nice to have him on the football field. The guy who started in his place, Chaz Ayu, he was an ankle slash Achilles injury and we're hoping to find out during media availability today what exactly the status for Chaz Ayu is going to be. Then uh, they bring in George Udo to play that flash linebacker spot and frankly George Udo was in over his head. I'm not sure he's necessarily been trained on what the flash linebacker position entails for him. He was out of his element it felt like. Carter Krupp came in then looked like he had took on a major knee injury in that game. Unfortunate for him. Ethan Slade also got injured from BYU secondary. Injuries are mounting. There's no doubt about it. Are they major, major injuries? I know that Carter Krupp and Ethan Slater walk-ons, but they're guys that were getting opportunities in this game and had their moments, but to continue to lose bodies like this, it feels like the flash linebacker position right now, it's essentially going to be uh, Morgan Piper if he's able to play and be effective. George Udo maybe as a backup, and then pending the status of Max Tooley, that's your flash linebacker position. And actually late in this game, I don't know if you guys went back and watched it, BYU actually shifted away from the flash linebacker spot and went to a true 4-2-5 nickel set with Jacob Robinson playing the nickel cornerback uh, position. They actually decided, you know what, we're so decimated to injury at flash linebacker, we're going to scrap that, and we're just going to throw another nickel cornerback out there. They, they were forced to do that, it felt like, in many ways. Maybe it was a schematic change, but to me, it, I think it was more injury necessitated that. Now, special teams-wise, kick return decisions by uh, Hobbs Nyberg, not great. I thought special teams outside of that, very, very solid. Jake Oldroyd made a fantastic field goal right down the boulevard. Every one of his extra points was right down the boulevard as well. I thought that the 71-yard punt from Ryan Rico in the circumstance it came was absolutely critical. It actually, I think, essentially told 
ECU. We're not trying for points here. Back them up inside their 10. And they're like, you know what? We got just over a minute here in the, in the end of the first half. We thought we might be able to get points after getting that stop on defense. But nope, a 71-yard absolute bomb of a punt. And that essentially ended the half. Ryan Rico was very good in this game after not after not a great game against Liberty. Nice to see him have his bounce back. Uh, other notes here. I know Mason Wake had that drop late that would have potentially given BYU the first down when they were trying to drive and get points to win the football game. But outside of that, I thought Mason Wake was absolutely fantastic in this game. He delivered some absolutely stellar blocks, one of which was a, a pancake block. I would I would count it as a pancake block. Although the chip block, he actually, it was a play that he had caught that pass early on in the game and had the hurdle when he jumped over the dude. If you watch the play, he actually bumps the dude. Oh, I just bumped my own mic. Apologies for that. But he bumps a dude on that play, then gets out into the flat and catches the pass and ultimately hurdles over a guy. It was a fantastic play. Mason was phenomenal in this one. I still don't understand how Isaac Rex, you don't scheme him to get some touches or at least get a look or two to have zero targets in this game for Isaac Rex. And really, it felt like in many ways, he was relegated to a lot of blocking duty in this matchup. That's unfortunate. And I, I feel for a guy like Isaac Rex because there's no reason that he should have zero targets in a football game at all right now. He, Him not getting targeted still is absolutely critical. Now, Pukunakua, he is that dude, everybody. Pukunakua is this year's Tyler Algier. He is the most valuable player for BYU's offense. Some of you may say it's Jaron Hall. Not to me. It is Pukunakua. He is absolutely lights out. When he is on the football field, teams are targeting him. I still don't understand. There was that swipe from the defensive lineman who tackled him and then shoves his hand, like pretty much plastering uh, Puka's head into the turf. That official was less than three yards away from that play and did not throw that flag. I do not understand how that American Athletic Conference official decided to not to throw that flag. You have to throw that in that circumstance. That is unsportsmanlike as all, as, as all get out, but... You know what? Nonetheless, the thing about Puka, you're never really going to hear him complain. He was talking plenty of trash in this game. That's what I love about Puka. He is the consummate competitor. He is an alpha. I know that term usually has a bad connotation, but he is a true alpha and gets after it on the football field. And I absolutely love that about Puka Nakua. He's just out there to get after it. He is BYU's best offensive weapon. There's absolutely no doubt about that. No offense to anybody else on BYU, but Puka Nakua... As I said, he is that dude, and they need to continue to feed him. Him disappearing late in this game, not scheming up a target for him or two, especially on that final drive. I know it was a three and out, but not getting him the ball, man. It's a missed opportunity. It really feels like it. A um, couple other notes here before we go here is that BYU's defense, uh, the contain is absolutely horrendous still on defense. They have a more comprehensive scheme, I feel like, an identity on the defense, but their inability to maintain outside contain is absolutely crippling their rushing numbers. Uh, in this game, I know that uh, Keaton Mitchell is a fantastic running back. He looks like a future star for ECU. What a find for them. But when the fact that I think he had nine, I, I kind of think he had 19 carries in this game and when almost, I think it was 9 of 19. It might have been 9 of 18. So if it's just a shade under 50% or at 50% of his runs were 10 yards or longer, that number is just absolutely crippling to BYU's chances in these games. And that's the thing about this. you got to be able to contain. And I'm not singling out anybody. I saw guys like Keenan Peely. I saw Pepe Tanuvasa. I saw Ben Bywater get out of alignment. I saw uh, multiple guys. George Udo at one point. I can go down this list. Multiple guys are getting, their their eyes are failing them in terms of their run recognition. They're getting sucked inside, and all of a sudden that running back bounces it to the outside, and they have given up the outside leverage they had on that play, and all of a sudden Keaton Mitchell's off to the races. That stuff is kind of the next step for BYU to correct. There were some poor tackling in this game, but not as much as previous games. I, I'm seeing, and 
I know that it's it's too little too late because BYU is trying to salvage a, kind of a train wreck right now in terms of their overall uh, season. But I'm seeing bit by bit, this defense is starting to show minor improvements. Now, should this have been stuff that it was not an issue most of the season? You would have thought so. Let me be very clear about this. But I am seeing bit by bit, this defense is starting to understand. It's, it's what a, a great defensive mind like Kalani Satake is bringing to this. These guys, his players, they're understanding what he's asking them that, of them. Are they executing it to the best of their ability? No, they're not. It's very, very clear that they are still a ways away from really becoming I think that what Kalani hopes they could be and hope that they probably would be under Elisa Tuiaki's direction, but Kalani is bit by bit building them up, and that's the hope is they continue to build piece by piece here. Maybe by the end of the season, they'll finally be a functioning defense when... Uh, <laughs> I know that sounds crazy to think about, but this defense, it's been the Achilles heel for BYU. It, is, it has kept them out of multiple games. This was a game. I mean, my, my final thought on this is this game, it was a winning effort for BYU. I, I felt like this was an effort that was worthy of winning a football game. And sometimes you still get beat. Critical penalties, critical mistakes late in this game cost BYU this game, but it was a winning effort, I felt like, from the Cougars pretty much across the board. You still need more than 24 points, sure. But I felt like the effort level was there. This was not a game like Liberty where it felt like BYU just melded in. After the first quarter against Liberty, did anybody think that BYU really was competing? No, I didn't think so, and I don't think you do either. This game, though, all four quarters, I saw a BYU team with a renewed determination, a renewed spirit, and they were out there playing football. It was fun to see. And like I said, it was a winning effort for me. I know that you can talk about all all I want with regards to uh I don't know. It, it, it comes off as as, as kind of tripe to to say that. Well, moral victories. And all, it, there's no moral victories. There's winners and losers. The, the simple fact is BYU lost their fourth straight game. They're now four and five on the season. But like I said, I saw a better effort, a a, a winning type effort from BYU in this game. A couple of plays go differently. Uh, even, for example, I forgot to write this. I forgot to mention this earlier on. Uh, the PI on Keanu Hill on the very first drive for BYU on offense. He gets absolutely ripped down in the end zone. It was also a, a roughing the passer call on that play. If Keanu Hill is able to haul in that touchdown pass, well, is that 28 points for BYU? And is that enough to win the football game? There are plays, five, six, seven plays in every single game that seem to dominate or those are the plays you point to that either win or lose you a football game and unfortunately in this the effort was better from BYU the problem was ECU had a couple more plays and BYU had a couple of mistakes that cost them in the end and that, that that's tough to swallow but the hope is that BYU can continue to build on what they did against ECU going into this Boise State game. Boise State they're a formidable team as I mentioned in, in our read talking about bet online BYU is an 8 point underdog. They're expected to lose by more than a touchdown according to the sports books down there in Las Vegas but this is a team I think BYU starting to regain some of their swagger in a way. It, it, it's very, very minor improvements here and there, but it was a better effort overall against ECU. And I, that, for me, I, I feel like you can take some things away from that. It's, it's no longer BYU uh, giving up crazy, crazy plays, awful defensive effort, overall uh, just seemingly lazy play calling, that type of stuff. That's all out the window. I know that there are questionable play calls in terms of some of the ideas that the the offense had with the two fourth down uh, go for it's in the fourth quarter, both of them failing for BYU. They're now was it five of twenty on the season or whatever that number is? It, it's it's an abysmal number, but 
the effort level is there. And that is something I have not seen in a hot minute from BYU. So I guess I'll leave that there. We'll move on. We'll catch up on the weekend and all other things BYU sports here in just a moment. Uh, one quick reminder for you, though, before we do that, though, is that also with BYU going into Boise State this weekend, uh, they are going to play their final game against the Broncos. I'm looking forward to this week. We'll look back at some of the history between the Boise State Broncos and BYU. It's been a really, really kind of a fun rivalry uh, during the independent era, and it's kind of sad that it's coming to an end, but I know that Boise State is intent on if they can find it at some point down the road to continue to play BYU. They've been a very, very good partner for BYU during their independent era, and we'll spend some time this week uh, looking at that a little bit closer at what exactly uh, to take away from that in, from this independent era for BYU, especially when it comes to facing off against the Boise State Broncos. All right, finish up the show next with some final notes on terms of the overall weekend for BYU sports. It's all coming up as you continue on right here on Locked on Cougars. Thank you once again for making Locked On Cougars your first listen of the day. Now, a couple of notes before we go real quick here on today's show is BYU women's volleyball had a fantastic showing with a 3-0 sweep of Portland at the Smith Fieldhouse Saturday afternoon. Uh, Abby Taylor had a career-high seven aces as the 17th-ranked Cougars got the win. It's a fantastic showing for BYU on the hard uh, hardwoods, if you will. They're going to head to the Bay Area this coming weekend facing both San Francisco and Santa Clara on Thursday and Saturday, respectively. Both of those matches will be streamed on the WCC network. We'll get you some more of those uh, broadcast details as that gets a little bit closer. Also, BYU Women's Soccer had a huge opportunity. Santa Clara is leading the WCC by the, in terms of the standings right now, and BYU outshot them, pretty much dominated the game they played against them on Saturday evening against the Broncos, but unfortunately were unable to find a goal and ended up settling for a nil-nil draw at Southfield. Uh, Santa Clara, if they win, I believe, on Wednesday this week when they, they're back in action, speaking of Santa Clara, they can wrap up the WCC title, but BYU, they're closing strong here. they got two final matches on the road in the regular season this coming week. They're going to be at San Diego on Wednesday and then at LMU on Saturday to close out the regular season, but in terms of the home finale, you would have liked to have seen BYU actually get a goal in their final home match of the season, it appears. But unfortunately, falling for that nil-nil draw, still a strong uh, close to the season here for BYU women's soccer. They had their struggles early on, especially generating offense and that type of stuff. And well, frankly, when you don't score a goal, I guess that goes right back to not having enough offense on the field. But this is a BYU women's soccer team that is closing the season well. And that that's a positive, I think, that Jennifer Rockwood can build on. All the RPI out there, I, I defer to guys like Greg Rubel and Sean Walker when it comes to looking at how BYU fares in terms of their chances getting into the NCAA tournament. This is a team, let's remind you, that made a run to the College Cup Final. They made it to the National Championship match last year and ended up falling just short. Uh, but it looks like BYU will not be going uh, postseasonless in their follow-up season. It looks like, according to the RPI and all the projections out there, that BYU will be playing in the month of uh, November when it comes to the NCAA tournament. How deep of a run can they make? Only time will tell. They're going to have to obviously find some offense because nil-nil draws will not get it done when it comes to the NCAA tournament. But I think some positives are coming out for BYU right now in terms of their women's soccer program and women's volleyball absolutely rolling right now. So fantastic to see this. Now, the final note for you I got for you guys today is that BYU men's golf is in action today and tomorrow. They're at the St. Mary's Invitational. It's taking place at the Poppy Hills Golf Course out there on the Monterey Peninsula, if I'm not mistaken, is where Poppy Hills is at. Uh, that begins this morning, speaking of Monday morning, and continues on into tomorrow. So best of luck to the men's golf team. I believe is their final uh, meet, uh, or not meet, their final tournament tournament 
of the fall season. They're having a fantastic fall season, looking to carry that momentum into the spring season and obviously the NCAA tournament at the end of next spring. But it's looking good right now. And also, I missed this as well. The women's golf team is finishing up their fall season. They're actually down in Coral Gables, Florida at the Hurricane Invitational, the Biltmore Golf Club down there in Miami. So fantastic stuff. Uh, Great weather for both of these programs and playing some pretty good golf courses. The Biltmore I've heard of out there in uh, Coral Gables. And I know Poppy Hills, it's one of those famed courses on that Monterey Peninsula, if if I recall correctly. So really, really cool stuff for BYU men's and women's golf. So best of luck to them in both the St. Mary's Invitational and the Hurricane Invitational, respectively, for the men's and women's golf programs. All right, that'll do it for us. Uh, Hopefully you guys are all doing well. Have fun with your family and friends on Halloween. Be smart out there, whether you're out uh, uh, trick-or-treating with your kids. If you see a guy in a big dinosaur suit as I open the show with, that might be me. So you can probably uh, run over and see if it's me if you want to or don't. But at the same time, I'll be out uh, celebrating with my kids, uh, helping them get as much candy as possible. So have a fantastic Halloween. Be safe out there. And of course, we'll reconvene tomorrow. Everything we learned from BYU Media Availability. Also begin to look ahead to the Boise State game as well. And any other news that comes out about the Big 12 in terms of their media rights or scheduling and all that stuff, we got you covered right here on Locked On Cougars. So thank you once again for making us your first listen of the day. Make your second listen now. Our friends over the Locked On Big 12 podcast. Josh Neighbors is a great job making sure you're up to speed on everything going on in the Big 12 conference. Get that free and available wherever you get your podcast. Until tomorrow, have a great Halloween. This has been the Locked On Cougars podcast. See ya.